night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show. Great to have everybody here. I know we do this a little too infrequently these days, but I promise that is going to change. We're going to get all that fixed. Just a lot going on, as I've said many times, and many of you who've been to the other program I'm doing now, which is called The Independence Gang. It's also here on YouTube. Um, you you are very aware of what what uh, what I've been up to and, and the number of programs we're doing there and how much work is involved with those. And th- that is a passion project for me. It is something that uh, I, I do because I feel a sense of obligation, not obligation, what's... Um, I'm not even sure what the word is. It's certainly patriotism, and I feel like we have to be talking about these things, particularly in a day and age when many people who are talking about these things are being silenced in one fashion or another. But tonight we're going to be talking about something in between the paranormal topics we normally talk about on this program and the political topics that I talk about on the other program, and that is political conspiracies, among other things. Our guest tonight will be Donald Jeffries. He's an author and also a talk show host. He's written many, many very fascinating books, including uh, his only novel, which is called uh, The Unreals, but he's also written Hidden History, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American politics, and uh, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 through 1963, as well as a few other pro uh, books, and they're all quite fascinating. So I'm looking forward to getting into this with um, Don tonight. I will remind you to, to make sure you're still subscribing and you're part of our programs wherever they are. We've got, obviously, the opportunity to sub- subscribe here on YouTube and also on Twitch, which we are streaming live to Twitch as well. Both of those channels are easy to find by just searching for JV Johnson. And also the podcast version of the show is still doing fantastic, even though we haven't been able to provide as many new programs as we have in the past. But like I said, we're working on that, and we're going to up uh, up our frequency a little bit here to make sure that we get an opportunity to talk about more of these topics because there's so much in the news, particularly as it pertains to UFO topics. Man, there's a lot of stuff happening. And we've got a UFO expert. I th- Is it on next week? It's either next week or the week after. Let me just see if I have that here, see if Slick updated the calendar for me. Um, we have, uh, uh, so it's 27th. Is that next week? Yeah, I guess that's, uh, no, it's two weeks from tonight. Uh, Martin Sawa will be on to talk about UFOs. We have, um, a conversation, uh, about Bigfoot next week as well. We're also going to be talking about ghosts next week. And we've got John Russell coming back to the program. He's been on a few times, a terrific guest. He'll be talking about ghosts as well. And that'll be the week, uh, after next, the same week we're talking to Martin about UFOs. So there's a lot of great stuff coming up on the show and I look forward to talking to all those great guests. But like I said, tonight we're going to be talking about conspiracies, particularly political conspiracies, everything from JFK to the things that we're dealing with today even. <laughs> I mean, you know, if if you watch the news today, you've got to be scratching your head a little bit and if you're not sure what I'm talking about, we'll certainly get into it. Uh, as the program gets underway. But again, it's a lot to chat about, and I'm really looking forward to it all. So we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we will uh, we'll begin this conversation. It's beyond reality, 
And uh, I'm your host, JV. Looking forward to tonight's conversation with Don Jeffries. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past, and I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show, and it's so inexpensive. Now, you can go to Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter. And we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, if you're a podcast listener, and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast app. And it's only 99 cents a month. It's less than a buck. You probably have that change in your couch right now. That dollar a month, less than a dollar, goes a long way in helping us produce this program, provide great interviews for you during the course of the week. I thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, welcome back to the program. It's Beyond Reality. I'm your host, JV. Thanks again to everybody for being here. We've got a great conversation tonight. Looking forward to this very much. Our guest, Don Donald Jeffries, that is, uh, is an author, also a talk show host. He's got many, many books to his credit, including the novel called The Unreals, but also Hidden History, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American politics. And man, is that apropos. Also, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, among others. Don, welcome to Beyond Reality. Great to have you with us tonight. Thanks for having me. I want to start by kind of discussing your introduction to all of these ideas. Uh, A lot of people um, find their way to these sometimes controversial, many times uh, taboo conversations about conspiracies, particularly as they pertain to our government. But you kind of uh, jumped right into the mother of all conspiracies to start with. And of course, I'm talking about the JFK assassination. Tell Tell me how you got your interest in it and how you started researching that. Right. Well, uh, as a teenager, uh, you know, I became <clears throat> politically aware at that time. I was already kind of a, I gravitated to, to a very, very liberal wing of the Democratic Party. I was a leftist back when, you know, leftists cared about civil libertarianism and uh, free speech and all that, which they don't anymore, but they did then. And uh, I always had admired the Kennedys, and I just started reading, uh, you know, the books that were already out on the, like Rush to Judgment by Mark Lane. As it, you know, Mark Lane was my hero, and I ended up volunteering for his organization he had formed across the country called Citizens Committee of Inquiry. And uh, we were lobbying Congress to reopen the assassination, which they eventually did, and we were disillusioned by that. But uh, it was a heady experience. And reading the books, I, I realized pretty quickly, wow, they, they really lied to us. And it was, a, it was an eye-opener. It was the beginning of going down those rabbit holes, which I, I'm still doing now, and the rabbit holes get deeper and deeper. Once you start opening these doors, once I saw that, wow, the entire, I mean, all the, the uh, mainstream media, people I had admired, Walter Cronkite, people like that, when I realized that they had been lying, they were in on it, uh, I realized, wow, there's, you know, because I wanted to be a journalist, and I thought, wow, I'm gonna, I want to be an investigative reporter, but it, it didn't take me very long to realize that investigative reporters weren't welcome even then in the mainstream media, and in fact, they were just perpetuating these lies. So from there, you know, it led to, our, I mean, as I've said many times, RFK wouldn't have been assassinated if John F. Kennedy hadn't have been. So I started looking at that, MLK assassination, and then, you know, eventually the, when Clinton became president, it was with Conspiracy Central, there were 
conspiracy going on all the time, uh, Waco, Oklahoma City, and so forth. And uh, I've never stopped at that time. Once you start looking at it, you realize they're not, uh, the JFK assassination wasn't an anomaly. It didn't happen in a vacuum. That This is part of a pattern, and that uh, you know people tell me all the time, you think everything's a conspiracy. Well, I think we're run by conspirators. And I think that's what they do. You know, this is a standard operating procedure for them. I think they're very much like organized crime. Uh, the mafia, except for the mafia, has always had some principles, some boundaries they won't cross, like with kids, for instance. Uh, the conspirators that rule us don't have those kind of boundaries. And uh, so I, I, I think everything I write is basically an attempt to try to, uh, to wake people up and show them the extent of the corruption, which is impossible. I think that's why it's so hard to wake people up, because they can't accept that things are as bad as they obviously are, that the corruption is just everywhere. I have so many directions I want to go uh, with this conversation based on what you just said, but the thing that's, that's kind of, uh, I think, maybe a prerequisite to all of that is what you just said, is that if if people accept the fact that they are being misled by their government in in many, many ways to a very extreme extent, it undermines almost everything they have faith in and everything they believe in. I mean, talk a little bit about that psychology. It really shakes your foundation to the core if you start to accept those concepts. It does, and I think that's why. I mean, all of us, I mean, I have have a big family, and, you know, I've woke, my son is awake, but... Nobody else is, <laughs> uh, you know, because people tell me all the time, well, I haven't been very serious. So I know how hard it is, you know. The people that, that are close to me and love me have heard me talking about these things for a long time at parties and family gatherings and so forth. They probably got tired of hearing about it. Uh, but it's, it's because most people don't, especially if you, you have much more success if you're talking to maybe some young people that are mired in retail or out of work or something, or even older people that have been laid off. But anybody that's doing that's successful, that is, uh, you know, has a good job, and uh, they've been able to send their kids to college, they own a home that's going up in value, investments, whatever, you're going to have a hard time selling them that the, that the system's rotten because the system's been good to them, and the system's been pretty good to me. But uh, you know, a lot of people can't look past their own circumstances and realize that the system isn't good for most people, and uh, so, but. You have a hard time with people that are, and I, I live in one of the wealthiest counties in the United States, and so there's a lot of people around here with money. So it's really hard to wake people up around here because they don't want to hear that the system has been good to them. And it's it's much easier to just go along and trust what you're told instead of you know looking into things, especially the darkest things that that, that some of us write about, like you know things like child sex trafficking. Yeah. Nobody they they don't want to consider that. Wow, you know these. These uh, upstanding, fine, upstanding men are, are doing this kind of thing. It's something they don't want to accept. And uh, but I think there's, you know, I write as I wrote in Crimes and Cover-ups, You know, one of uh, one of the people I think that had the most significant uh, statement on all this was uh, James Forrestal, who was the first Secretary of Defense after uh, under uh, Harry Truman. And he, you know, was pretty obviously pushed out of a high-rise window in the Bethesda Naval Hospital. They claim he jumped, but I don't think anybody that's investigated thinks that. But he was, you know, a critic of a lot of things. And he had told Joe McCarthy, who was, you know, one of his friends, and Joe McCarthy would later die a few years later in Bethesda Naval Hospital after going in for a knee ailment. He just died two days later of, uh, of um, uh, undisclosed causes, and there was no autopsy done. 49 years old. So this is when you see these kinds of things over and over again, before Stahl had told McCarthy at one time, he said, you know, if, if there wasn't this huge conspiracy, once in a while they'd make a mistake in our favor. 
And that's very close to what I said over. I want you know if this if this was just there was any random factor at all involved to our politics or the way things are governed in this country or really anywhere else, good good people would arise. You know, you'd have a you know once in a while you'd have a good king. You know, you'd you'd have a right. a, a great president who would who would either maybe maybe look a little shady, but then when they got in the office, do good things. Uh, we don't have that. I mean, not since John F. Kennedy and you know, the last person that attempted to do anything good at all. In the White House, certainly, was JFK, and uh, you saw what happened to him. Yeah, I, I want to go back to the JFK conversation a little bit. Again, that's kind of how you got your start. Uh, and again, I consider it the mother of all conspiracies. And here we are 60 years later, we're still scratching our heads about it and wondering why we can't get real answers and real truth. Uh, but when you went into investigating the JFK assassination, did you go in with any preconceived notions? Had you ha- already had a theory in mind when you started to look into it? Well, I still, you know, people tell me all the time, you know, when we're called conspiracy theorists, I mean, I, you know, I wear that as a badge of honor, but it's inaccurate because, as I've told people, if you can find a theory in anything I write, tell me what it is, because I don't know. I mean, it's not, it's, not a consp- it's not a theory to point out these facts and to point out how flawed and impossible these narratives are. The JF- I mean, I, I probably was always um, a doubter of the assassination, even though I was seven years old when JFK was killed, but... Uh, we were a large Catholic fa- Catholic family, uh, and like most Catholic families, uh, my parents and people around me revered the Kennedys, and so they were crestfallen. When, I mean, I and one of some of that's probably one of my earliest memories outside my family is watching the nonstop saturation coverage of the of the assassination. Uh, you know, the, and of course, didn't realize at the time how bad the reporting was even then. But uh, and then, of course, the funeral coverage. I mean, that's ingrained in my memory. Uh, you know, the family members crying, and all, all I heard was, especially after uh, Oswald was uh, shot on live TV by Ruby, all I heard, no one, no one around me accepted that. So I was, you know, at, at that time, at seven years old, it was indoctrinated to me that obviously somebody shot Oswald to shut him up, uh, that he didn't do it. So I didn't really, I wasn't sophisticated enough to know who might have done it, but I knew that it was a lie to say Oswald did it because no one around me believe it, believed that. So, um, you know, once I started getting more sophisticated and looking at the evidence, it became obvious that, well, you know, you put two and two together and you see who, who covered things up. And you see, you know, the FBI, uh, the Secret Service, the, the Justice Department, the Pentagon, the CIA. I mean, all, all these agencies conspired to, to cover up after the fact. So it's just, you know, pretty logical to assume they weren't covering up for some other force. They weren't covering up for the Russians or the Cubans or the mafia. Uh, so, and, of course, the, the media as well covering up. So it's just a, uh, you know, a logical step to just you know, assume that some part of, all of those government agencies or very powerful people in the government conspired to kill Kennedy. So I think that's – but I, I, but I don't say I know because I, I don't know. I don't know exactly – who did it? But I do know that. Uh, and when, when people ask me who killed JFK, I just I pretty much just start off by saying, I don't know for sure, but I do know that Lee Harvey Oswald didn't, and that we've been lied to. So you know, you can go from there as to why we would be lied to. I'm going to try to ask a question here, and I'm ho- hope hope it'll make sense as I ask it. But in 1963, when Kennedy was assassinated, America wept. Whether you were Republican or Democrat, supporter or maybe not a supporter. Americans united and wept about the brutal murder of their president. 
I don't think that would happen today, regardless of whether it's this administration or the prior administration. I think you'd probably have some people dancing in the streets while others wept, you know, regardless of which which it was. It just it would change sides, probably. Was it the Kennedy assassination and the subsequent uh, re- realization that we may not have been told the truth and eyes started to open, Watergate happened, we further distrusted our government. Were these series of events, is that what's what's to blame for maybe the lack of respect of some of our federal officials and federal offices, whereby today we wouldn't all weep if the president, God forbid, was assassinated? I think that, you know, that, that in many, it's, it sounds kind of cliche, but I think it was really the, uh, we did lose our innocence on November 22nd, 1963. And I'm, I'm fond of pointing out that I think however you look at it, if you, uh, if you looked at a graph and, and, and looked at how, how America stood on November 22nd, 1963, in terms of uh, economically, culturally, uh, how we were seen in, around the world, I think America pretty much was at its peak, at its apex at that point. And I think after the assassination, if you looked at that chart, you could just see a steady line going down. If you, if you realize how charts look until now, we're so far at rock bottom that it's, it's hard to imagine it's going any lower. But, yeah, I think that because up until that point, and I think that was uh, one reason why it, it took a few years uh, for people to – but even though – because we, things were so really so much more innocent than and people did trust in institutions, it was incomprehensible to them. Yeah. To think that their government would lie, or certainly that their media would lie, they just—it it just didn't occur to most people. That was so far outside the lines that uh, it took. But once you know those books came out, and uh, like Mark Lane's *Rush to Judgment* and Harold Weisberg's *White Bars*, Sylvia Morris's *Accessories After the Fact*, all the great early books—they uh, so conclusively showed people that you know really that that's the only—and and it is the mother of all conspiracies. That's what I called it in history, but. Um, I think that it's really the only uh, conspiracy theory, if you want to call it that, 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 that it was a conspiracy that has been uh, held by the majority of Americans ever since, you know, really almost since it happened. Every poll shows that a majority of Americans don't believe the official version. Now, you can't say that about any other issue, 9-11 or anything else. It's, it's always still in a minority. But the JFK assassination was so obvious when, when Oswald was shot uh, by Ruby, and it just it just left everything so unsettled, and the Warren Report was inaccessible to most Americans because it was based on 26 volumes of hearings and exhibits, 26 big volumes. Now, yeah. uh, I, like other re- real researchers, have, have gone through those volumes, and it's not easy. It's you know, mostly meaningless. I mean, most of it isn't even significant. It's padded. They padded the record blatantly. To make it look like they did a lot more than they did when they really didn't investigate much at all. But you have to go through that to find the gems, And but most citizens aren't going to do that. Instead, they read the Warren Report, which was still almost at that, was 888 pages. Um, that was beyond most people aren't going to read that, but it was just a set of conclusions. And, of course, the press sold it, the New York Times and the Washington Post and all the television networks, you know, just said what a great job it was, and they're critically acclaimed, fantastic, they left no stone unturned. So it, it took the critics like Mark Lane and people like that, and notice that all the people I mentioned, and there were many more, every one of those critics, none of them were a professional. There's not one single professional journalist that uh, did the job that they're being paid to do. They didn't do the work. Instead, it was you know a lawyer like Mark Lane or a, ch- a retired chicken farmer like Harold Weisberg or a World Health Organization worker like Sylvia Marr, a uh, housewife like Shirley Martin. 
those are the people that did the investigative work and exposed the lies and the cover on And without them, uh, you know, if, if, they, if they had never done if they had just decided to sit and, and of course, Jim Garrison, uh, who was really the closest thing we had to an official because he was a district attorney, uh, but no, none of the professional journalists did that. In fact, they, they, they slandered and smeared everyone who did try to investigate. And you can see that's when the media really set in stone what we see today, where they're not skeptical of anything. They're not skeptical of any official story. They don't question anything. They don't question authority. But they will question people like me. They, they're, they're skeptical of the skeptics. And that's, that started uh, when they first started attacking the citizen journalists, or, you know, mm-hmm. who weren't professional journalists, who did all the work and exposed the sham that the Warren Report was. We're going to get into that in a few minutes. Um, uh, in 1963, much of the adult population had uh, been um, part of the effort to defeat Nazi Germany and fascist Japan and Italy uh, in World War II. They were real patriots. Do you think part of the reluctance to accept the fact that the government may be lying to them was because they had so much invested in in America, in the government, based on what they went through in World War II? Sure, and I think probably the uh, that, that generation was probably, you know, I think uh, the people that initially uh, were really skeptical were more younger people. And uh, maybe people that were older than the World War II generation, but yeah, I think, and, and certainly JFK himself was a, a World War II hero. And you know, back then, the, what, whatever you did in the war, that kind of you know, they political careers were launched on that. So yeah, yeah there was. Uh, if you had that graph again, maybe on November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, you almost might. I don't know if it was the height of patriotism, but probably pretty close because the World War II generation was completely in charge. And they, you know, they had won the war, and uh, you know, it was it was a very uh, uh, there was a patriotic feeling everywhere, and that's why uh, it was such a crushing uh, shock, I think, when people started looking at the lies, and because this, this was, you know, talk about being disillusioned, because this they had trusted these institutions, and as Harold Weisberg told me when I, I met him and had dinner at his house back in the early '80s, you know, that the uh, that every one of our ma- every one of the major institutions failed, and that was just something that was incomprehensible. To people like him, the World War II generation, because they were used to, hey, you know, we're 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 trusting, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna go out and we're gonna we're gonna uh, beat the bad guys, and we're gonna do what we're told because uh, you know so we're gonna buy bonds and all, all the kind of patriotic things they did for for them to realize, wow, you know, this is. Uh, our own government, you know, people in the Pentagon and the CIA, uh, uh, maybe Jager Hoover, the FBI, maybe Lyndon Johnson, all these people might have conspired to kill the president. And our media not only didn't try to investigate it, but act- actively attacked the people who tried to point out, the people that tried to say the emperor's wearing no clothes. So it was, there's no question, I think, that if JFK hadn't been assassinated, I think that set the template especially for the rest of the 60s. I don't think the 60s would have been anything like they were if Kennedy hadn't been. Well, first of all, we would have been out of Vietnam. I think, you know, if you look for motive, I think that's probably the primary reason that JFK was had already started the withdrawal process. And But again, the lies continue, even though we have, you know, National Security Action Memorandum 263 as evidence, which he had recently passed, which delineated, you know, 1,000 troops out by the end of 1963, all troops out by 1965. That's in the record. That's not a theory. that's not a conspiracy theory. That's JFK himself and telling all his aides. And in fact, he in his last press conference, he talked about that. I think that was the primary motive. But uh, and 
obviously, how different would the 60s have been, how different would our history have been? Yeah. If the Vietnam War had ended, you know, there would have been no student protests. There might not have been a counterculture. Who knows about the drug movement? All that really was ignited in the Dealey Plaza on November 22nd, 1963. Yeah, that's a great point. You mentioned Jim Garrison's work. Jim Garrison's work is probably what most people are familiar with when they start to talk about or think about the JFK assassination. Of course, Jim Garrison's book on the trail of the assassins was the uh, was the basis for Oliver Stone's movie JFK. So it's the work that most people are probably familiar with and how they frame this discussion. What are your thoughts on Jim Garrison's work? Yeah, well, I think uh, I think Jim Garrison essentially got it right, but I think I think Garrison I believe I think his most important contribution was to define what Lee Harvey Oswald's role was. I mean, people have never been able to understand that. Yeah. I think that as Garrison did, I believe that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was some kind of undercover agent, whether he was FBI, uh, CIA, whatever. He was working in intelligence in, in some capacity. I mean, all the record evidence shows that. I believe, as Garrison did, that he was on assignment at the time of the assassination. He had been told to infiltrate a group that was planning to kill the president. And that group that he infiltrated were the, the faces that we're all familiar with, it, that were in Oliver Stone's JFK, uh, David Ferry. Clay Shaw, Jack Ruby, and I personally believe that that group really were not the conspirators. I, I think they, you know, were pawns as well. I, I don't think they really knew what was going. I don't know what they were told, but they, you know, certainly Clay Shaw had CIA connections. Ruby had been an FBI informant. Jack, uh, David Ferry, all these people had intelligence connections. So they were probably all told different things, and they were manipulated as well. I mean, God knows how they got Jack Ruby to <laughs> to shoot Oswald. But they got him to do it somehow. So I think that, you know, the people that actually conspired and manipulated them all were way above them. And uh, it's trying to find out who they were is difficult. But I think Garrison did what he could because uh, those are all the only people that got identified. I don't know if they hadn't, you know, if, Jack, if all these witnesses hadn't have died. I mean, most of them were dying. They were dropping like flies or they were uh, – you know, states were, you know, in an unprecedented move, governors of states were not extraditing witnesses. I mean, that's unheard of, especially, and of course, two of the governors were Ronald Reagan in California and John Connolly, of all people, in Texas, who, yeah. of course, had been shot. So uh, he was left with not much of a case, and uh, because, uh, you know, that, that's what happened. Some of the witnesses were elected. A lot of witnesses were killed. People were uh, not extradited. So he was left with, with what he had, and... Uh, Unfortunately, that there, there, there wasn't uh, anywhere near the, the full truth, because I think the truth went way above that. And Garrison knew that. He, he basically fingered the CIA. I don't know if it was just the CIA, but I personally think Oliver Stone kind of got it right when he talked about something in the air, you know, this consortium. I think a, a bunch of very powerful forces in the Pentagon and the CIA, the FBI, uh, maybe in uh, corporate America, got together and decided – you know, this is going to happen. But but I don't know. I don't know that for sure. All I know is that they lied to us and they got it wrong. And the logical um, speculation is that it had to be very powerful forces to be able to control the media. And still, you know, almost 60 years later. Yeah. Um, well, final question. I could talk to you about this particular topic all night, but we've got a bunch of other things we want to get to. So final question on the JFK assassination. But it's been 60 years. And over the course of of those years, there have been various investigations, there, you know, the House Select Committee on Assassinations and others. And then there's also been document dumps, uh, some very recently, in fact. Has any of that moved this ball forward at all? Well, no, I don't think because, 
most of the documents mean very little, unless you're somebody like me who has been immersed in this for decades. Like a couple of years ago, they had a file, a partial file release, and there was one interesting document to me, but I don't know how much it would mean to the average person. It was a, it was a verification of something we'd long suspected, which that was uh, that uh, Governor Earl Cabell of, of uh, Dallas, I mean, I'm sorry, Mayor Earl Cabell of Dallas, the brother of Charles Cabell, who was the second in command after Alan Douglas, who was the Alan Dulles, who were fired after the Bay of Pigs, uh, was actually, the mayor was a CIA asset as well. I mean, it was verification, which we've long suspected, but that was interesting to me. But uh, with the average person, I don't know, it doesn't really prove anything. It just kind of, you know, it's, it's a hunch we all have. But I, as I've said, you know, people that are looking for a smoking gun, I don't think that any agency got together and put out a point-by-point -point memorandum that, this, this, okay, we're going to assassinate John F. Kennedy, and this is how we're going to do it. I mean, I... Yeah. You wouldn't leave a paper trail like that. So I, I think there's there's enough, uh, you know, as, as uh, Mark Lane used to say, what's wrong with, you know, when they say, well, you don't have any new evidence. He'd say, what's wrong with the old evidence? I mean, it's, it's always showed <laughs> that Oswald didn't do it. So I think people are going to look at the evidence. But, uh, you know, you, you, you have to start <clears throat> with the premise that uh, <clears throat> that Lee Hart, the, the record, there, what they, the one thing the Warren Commission, the FBI, did prove and that was that whoever killed JFK, it wasn't Lee Harvey Oswald. They inadvertently proved that. Yeah, um, I can't. I can't help but ask another question, even though I said that was going to be the last one. And that is, do you think eventually something will be released, or someone? I know there aren't many of these folks left, but someone on a deathbed will offer some kind of information in the form of a deathbed con uh, confession that will break this open and, and actually get us to the truth. Well, I don't. I, you, you've had a couple, you know, <clears throat> deathbed conventions. There was the uh, confessions that were E. Howard Hunt to his son uh, uh, several years ago. I, I, I don't think as people have come forth, James Files, there have been people that have, that have said uh, Roscoe White that have claimed they were assassins. I, I don't think that uh, that pe even the critical community, the very dysfunctional research community, which uh, doesn't like me a lot, and I don't like them very much to be <laughs> honest with you, because they don't accomplish anything, but <clears throat> they're always infighting and. Anybody coming forth, they're going to be largely against it. Very few of them would accept it. And certainly the, the mainstream people are not going to accept it. And the mainstream media is going to poo-poo any, and I mean any, uh, deathbed con confession, unless they decide to go with what I've always thought is the limited hangout backup plan, which is to blame the mafia. So if they ever decide to do that, it would be some kind of mobster or something who is uh, – Carlos Marcello ordered them or something, but they're they want to stay away from any government involvement. That's that's why I believe uh, the big lie continues is because they have, they have so much invested. And in, you know, when I write about older history too, uh, the court historians, as I call them, and the mainstream, you know, the, the so-called journalists, like state-controlled journalists, they have so much invested in these lies. So if if let's say the JFK assassination, if the truth is ever revealed. Then you have a real domino effect, yeah. like the, the phony, you know, Cold War domino theory. You have a domino effect because the dominoes start to fall from JFK. Then they go to, to certainly to RFK. Then they go to JFK Jr., which I was the first one to write about, critically about. I think that was another Kennedy assassination. So just that, just that one family alone, those, those dominoes begin to fall. Of course, these things are interconnected. So it goes over into things like Chappaquiddick and the Martin Luther King assassination. So many things... So they have a very powerful motive 
to keep all of these things covered up because they are connected to each other in some way. People sometimes don't understand that, but they are. They're interlocking connections because they're all uh, prima facie evidence of of this organized corruption. And when you know you've investigated these things as long as I have, you see the patterns. You see the you know the unnatural deaths that are associated with all these things, the destruction of evidence, the missing evidence, lost. Just, you know, the, the failure to do autopsies on significant deaths related to them. Uh, these things are over and over again. And, of course, the, the absolute failure of the media to ever investigate any of it. So uh, they have a, they, they, there's a lot of lies they're protecting, and they have a, a very powerful motive to – so if anything came to be – if there was a I, – I would imagine the gunmen probably are long gone. I don't know how they'd be allowed to live, but I don't know. But I would be very doubtful that any, anything legitimate like that would happen, or even if it was, it would be accepted. If the media is complicit in this, or was back, you know, then you mentioned Walter Concrite, uh, Cronkite. Uh, were they complicit in the sense that they actually knew the truth, or they didn't want to know the truth? Yeah, I think mostly they didn't want to know the truth. I, I doubt if, you know, it's hard to say how how, how far these rabbit holes go. But, you know, as Weisberg again told me, he said, you know, the media didn't have to be, he said, it's not like they held a, a meeting and were told to cover up. They didn't have to be. And I think that, that I've come more and more to believe that, that uh, they, they're they indoctrinated. And certainly at that time, you're talking about the average, the, the public was unwilling to believe that their government would do something like this. Well, the media, you know, these people are very successful. They're a big part of the establishment. They all have, you know, connections to I mean, all the, they're talking to people like Lyndon Johnson and Jagger. Who, I mean, these are a lot of them are you know they're they're drinking buddies with them. So it's impossible for them to accept that. So of course they have to you know look to the communists, the mafia, if they go beyond the lone assassin, which they they don't. But so yeah, I, I think that uh, they wouldn't. They, it's not like they have you know a meeting and say okay you can't talk about this. I right. think everyone knows and you see it even today, like uh, even now where. Every and I mean every journal. Every if you see anybody on television, uh, with the possible exception of maybe Tucker Carlson on some things on Fox News, but the rest of them they they poo-poo any conspiracy theories. They turn their nose up at it, and they make it a dirty word. And it's something they're unwilling to. And I I don't think they you know they don't look at it. I've tried to talk to some of them, and they just. They're so unknowledgeable, even something like the JFK assassination. They know nothing about it, nothing. They just believe that the Warren Report got it right. They haven't, they're not willing to look at the evidence. And, you know, you'd need, I'd need maybe an hour or something, and I, I could do a PowerPoint presentation and, and show them how wrong they are. But I used to teach a class in the JFK assassination for my, uh, my uh, local school system, uh, adult education program, believe it or not, they let me do it. Wow. And, and, uh, and then I taught another class on Oliver Stone's JFK. But, you know, it used to really frustrate me that I would always have, like, one person in the class, typically, that no matter how impressive I thought my case, that it just I'm just citing the facts, they still wouldn't believe. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, and now when I realize you can't, you just, that normie thing, it's the same as like trying to wake people up to anything. Some people just won't. They just they're they're just not going to go there. They don't care what you can show them. All the evidence in the in the, uh, in, in the world, and they're just no. I you know I read Gerald Posner's book, or you know I, I saw Peter Jennings' special in 2003 on ABC, and that's where they go. And it doesn't matter how you show them what the state of the evidence is and how impossible it would have been for Lee Harvey Oswald to do it. 
doesn't matter. They're, they they cling to that, and uh, it's it, it's. I don't. Somebody like me, I don't have an easy job. I mean, there are people that are receptive to it, and I have a lot of people that that love my work, but I realize that it's a limited audience because uh, <clears throat> it's. It doesn't matter how impressive I try to <laughs> try to try to do my research. It it doesn't matter. I mean, you you just you could. You could make it as convincing as possible, and there are certain people, and it, it, unfortunately it's probably still a majority, probably a, a solid majority of the people that no matter how strong the evidence is, they want to believe, and they, it's normalcy bias. And uh, we see it now with what's going on with the, you know, with, the, with the pandemic and the mask wearing and the social distancing. It's the same kind of thing. And the lockdown, it's the same mentality. It's, they, they have a... Uh, <clears throat> And it's ironic because, you know, we said we lost innocence on the JFK assassination, but we've kind of come back full circle to where the left now especially uh, has this clinging belief where it's almost kind of a misguided type of patriotism where they are clinging to the institutions we have now and refusing to believe they can be wrong. And uh, that's what I think we're seeing now. And it's 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 very hard for those of us that are trying to, point out, you know, the, uh, the illogical aspect of, of, of any of this. And it's, um, it's, it's hard to, you know, to wake people up when they're just, they're just insisting on staying asleep. Yeah. Um, with maybe the exception of Watergate, which was a story broken by two reporters, what has happened to the curiosity of reporting and particularly investigative reporting? Why does the media seem disinterested in doing that part of its job? Back then and today. Well, you know, it's I. Uh, that's again when I was coming of age, uh, Watergate as a teenager, and I was very interested in that at the time. And I hated Nixon and loved Kennedy. You know, that was my that was my family. Nixon was a dirty word, so I wanted yeah, go get him. And uh, you know, Dan Rather was my hero at that time. But I didn't realize what his history was with the JFK assassination. And yeah, Woodward and Bernstein. At that time, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a journalist. I wanted to be like them. But again, I didn't. I didn't know history. I didn't really know history. And it wasn't until I started first the JFK assassination and these other things that I started realizing. And looking back, I'm talking about way before the JFK assassination. Real journalism has never existed outside of Watergate. That's the only time that the media looks like it did its job. And of course, if you look at it, my friend Len Kalani wrote the book Silent Coup, and I think they got that wrong as well. I. I personally think it was, you know, that Nixon was, you know, engineered out of office for whatever reason. I don't know why, but they must have had some reason. But it looked on the surface like, but at least as far as the mechanics of it, the press was working the way it, it should or it seemed to, to, especially to a young ideologue like I was at that time, where they were, you know, the Washington Post had front page stories every day. There was a deep throat guy, and uh, they were going to bring this, this, this evil, you know, president down, and they did. And, uh, you know, I cheered as much as anybody. But then when I started realizing, wow, these same, you know, when I joined Mark Lane's group and I started trying to contact some of these same journalists and they had no, I mean, no interest in the JFK assassination. Cause I'm, I'm, in my naivety, I'm thinking, they don't know. You know, I just got to tell them, hey, you know, read this book or you know, look at this. You, you don't, I mean, the professional journalists don't know. They knew. They didn't care, of course, when I found out that they had already been you know, smearing and attacking people that came long before me when I was a little kid. And, uh, you know, there was a book that the New York Times reporter wrote, uh, The Critics and Scavengers of the Warren Report. Anthony Lewis wrote it and, uh, and Lawrence Schiller. And it was just a horrible attack where they just made fun of them and said they were 
alcoholics and all this stuff. And that's that's where they were gearing their attention. They weren't even interested in looking at the evidence. Instead, the people killed the messenger. It was the I mean, ultimate example of kill the messenger. So outside of Watergate, Watergate is an anomaly. So even if you want to believe the, the story of Watergate, uh, that is the only time the media acted like theoretically like it should. And, of course, we all have to ask ourselves, why would that be? Why, you know, why were they let loose just that one time? Because as soon, you know, they, they, they went right back to sleep. I mean, they, they, they stayed, you know, they did a little bit during the, the church committee hearings about the CIA and the, you know, the, the efforts to, uh, to kill Castro. They had a little interest, but as soon as the House Select Committee on Assassinations was formed, the same press attacked them relentlessly and destroyed the committee. And they got rid of um, uh, the original counsel, uh, Richard Sprague. They got rid of Henry Gonzalez. They did, it, it, was, it was because it was the same Washington Post that was, had deep throat and was exposing Watergate. They relentlessly attacked them nonstop. And they, they uh, got uh, uh, Sprague and Gonzalez to, uh, they leaked things to different, uh, different uh, people in their, their groups and got them to hate each other. And so they both ended up resigning, and they got this guy Robert Blakey in uh, instead, who just ran a Warren uh, report rehash and, in fact, signed a secrecy agreement with the CIA. So, you know, that's – at the time, I, you know, I was, my, my mind was developing, and I was starting to realize, wow, this is, this is really deep, and it's way deeper than just JFK assassination. And, of course, as time's gone on, I, you know, I've seen exactly how, how, how deep it is. I mean, it's, it's quite a swamp, and it's, uh, it's overwhelming. But uh, we don't have an investigative press, and if we ever had it, it was just in that brief period during Watergate. But since then, the press, and you can draw your own conclusions. I mean, I, I've said many times that I think our mainstream media, the only difference between them and TASS and Pravda at the height of the Soviet Union is that the Soviet citizens were smart enough and, 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 and sophisticated enough to know they weren't real media and they, they, were, they were being lied to. Most Americans, unfortunately, are not that smart, and they actually believe that the CNNs and the New York Times are real, uh, real media, real parts of a free press. Well, that is such a great way to put it, and it puts it in perspective. Um, and that is a stark difference. Uh, just if you've joined us recently here, we're talking with Don Jeffries. Don is an author and also a talk show host. Many books to his credit, including Hidden History and uh, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics. A uh, lot of stuff you've written, uh, Don talks about conspiracies as well as the uh, the few that we've been talking about already tonight and one of the things you mention is you talk about history and you talk about court historians are the ones that write the history that we read about who are the court historians and what is their role in all of this and why is it important to distinguish between them and someone like you who kind of pulls the curtain back on some of this stuff yeah, well, I'm like a renegade historian. I, I, I you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not even a college graduate. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I have no academic credentials, and that's all it's based on. And uh, but these, I will put myself up against any of them. And uh, but the problem is, you know, people like me don't have a chance. They can look down their nose at, at books like mine, but they will put out uh, books that are uh, to universal praise. I mean, the Michael, Michael, Michael Beschloss and people like that that are uh, that will defend all the narratives, but. They, most of the time, they they just they may make tremendous jumps of of, uh, of logic and jumps of faith that make no sense. Where they they begin with a premise, like for instance, in analyzing the JFK assassination, they begin with the premise that I, that, that, that 
then Oswald killed it. And they just go from there. And, they, and they're like a, uh, a prosecutor. Like the Warren Report was basically a, a prosecution of Oswald. They just form an argument for that. They don't actually look at the evidence. And, and that's the way it is on everything. And I, a perfect example of how, uh, how important these, uh, these narratives are, even, you know, 150, 200 years removed, is when I was writing Crimes and Cover-Ups, I talked to uh, descendants of John Wilkes Booth and uh, Meriwether Lewis. Now, you go back to Meriwether Lewis, you're talking about uh, the early 1800s. And it's, his death you know, has been attributed officially to suicide. His family doesn't believe that, and most people that have investigated believe he was murdered. Now, if the truth came out about that and they say Meriwether Lewis was killed, it would have no impact at all on our modern society. I mean, it wasn't really connected to anything that we can see that was that significant. But they're so invested in these lies that they will not allow his family to exhume Meriwether Lewis's body. The Park Service and all these people are blocking it. Same thing with John Wilkes Booth, which is a little closer today and probably more significant because the Lincoln uh, assassination was another conspiracy that uh, they've lied about. I think it was an inside job. But uh, John Wilkes Booth, I think the evidence shows that the body buried in, uh, in Baltimore Cemetery is not John Wilkes Booth. His family has believed that. Well, there's one easy way to prove it. Exhume the body. They are blocking the family. And again, they're so invested because if they did, and it's not Booth, then they have to, they have egg on their face. And all the people that smeared the conspiracy critics and the Lincoln assassination, uh, they, they don't want to, it's just almost a matter of pride with them. And I think these journalists, uh, the JFK assassination as well, there, there aren't many left, they're the Dan Rathers, there aren't too many left that, that have perpetuated the lie from the beginning. But they, again, are incredibly invested in this. They've smeared people like me that were much more prominent in the day, Mark Lane types. Uh, they've written books condemning them. So they're never going to admit they were wrong. And that's just almost like on a human nature basis, even beyond the conspiratorial aspect of it. They just don't want to admit that they were wrong. There's a, like a, a pride factor there. And uh, if, if they you know, were analyzed, you know, again, you don't have to say there was a cover-up, but You've just done, you know, you, I would just give them a failing grade, all mainstream journalists, on all of these subjects because they don't do any investigating. The only investigating they do would be to people like me, the people that are, you know, they're killing the messenger, the people that are exposing the lies. And uh, so, you know, you can, you can judge for yourself, but, I mean, the, the court of stories, that's, and I got that term from a guy, Harry Elmer Barnes, who uh, wrote way back when. He was one of the big critics of World War One. And like most of the people I admire that were leftists of their days, he was a good liberal in, in, in standing. But once he started questioning all aspects of history, he was smeared and, uh, you know, drummed into you know, the fringes of society. He, was, he, he once wrote for the big mainstream periodicals. Same thing happened to John Tolan, who was a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist in good standing, a court historian, you know, right at the center of the court. But he wrote the book Infamy in uh, 1982, I think it was, 83 that exposed uh, Franklin Roosevelt's foreknow obvious foreknowledge of Pearl Harbor. And he was drummed out of the community. He had to end up going to historical revisionist co uh, conferences. That's the only people that would let him speak. He was called a Nazi, even though his book had nothing to do with Nazis. It was about the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. So that's what happens. If you, the court historians are the people who uphold the truth for the, you know, the, the, for the court, you know, in this case, the, the, the deep state or whatever you want to call it. They're, I think they're state-approved historians like we have state-approved journalists. And if they go off the reservation and all, uh, 
then they're not they're not welcome. They can't get uh, you know they're not allowed to play in any more reindeer games. They can't uh, work for the uh, the mainstream media anymore, and they have to do things like Cheryl Atkinson is another person who's been on my show a couple times that used to work for CBS, and she was fired after she exposed uh, the WHO and the CDC lying about the swine flu numbers in 2009. Uh, you know, she she does great work still, but she's not welcome back at C, CBS or CNN. There are other people like Glenn Greenwald, great who writes now at Substack, and that's where I've just started writing at Substack. So anybody want to find uh, uh, wants to read my regular work over there, they can go to Substack. It's called I Protest, and I, I love more subscribers. But you know, he was once a mainstream journalist, and now Tucker Carlson has him on. That's right. But. But he, he he's not welcome anywhere else because again he was he not only worked with Edward Snowden but he's calling out the left as I am from the left, and uh, so he's not welcome there. So there it's a very it's, you know it's a very small clique and club. And if you go if you color outside the lines lines you're you're not welcome in the club. It's part of the problem that the quote unquote court historians these people that are writing the history uh, that we read in our textbooks or wherever it happens to be. A lot of their work is drawn from the the contemporary reports that the journalists of the time, whatever the time is, write. Uh, so they're basically, uh, you know, taking the the misleading information that the journalists are putting into papers or broadcast of the day, and they're turning that into the histor- historical accounts that end up in the textbooks. Is that part of the problem here? Yeah, well, it is, and it's also uh, especially when you're dealing with. Uh any of, because, you know, America has pretty much been at war almost their entire existence. Uh, when you're dealing with any of the war, and I mean any of the wars, uh, you have to always remember that history is written by the victors. So, you know, some, some knowledge isn't welcome. There, there's always alternative information, even at the time. But once the, uh, the war is won, and even if it's not a literal war, the figurative war, like, for instance, I think, you know, in the case of uh, there has been a culture war for a long time in this country, and I think the war has pretty much been won. So, you know, again, history is written by the victors. So the, the, the history and the current events uh, is dealing with the culture war, for instance. Now they're being written by the victors, the people who won. And I think it's pretty obvious that, uh, you know, who has the power, you know, is, is going to make the rules. So trying to find that alternative information, it's it's out there in, in all my work. But, I mean, uh, you know, for instance, uh, I... Uh, my greatest, my best example I can give as to how monolithic this cover-up is in the press is uh, an incident I wrote about in history, uh, a forgotten figure, R. Bud Dwyer, who was a, a, a Pennsylvania state treasurer who famously shot himself. I remember that, yeah. yeah right, right, uh, during a live press conference. Oh, that was horrible, yeah. It was horrible. But I'm every single, now, of course, it was, all the big press was there, all the major media was there. Every report, now they concentrated on, like, the Washington Post had a horrible picture of, like, his cheeks, puff, cheeks puffing out right as he put his gun in his mouth. Yeah. Terrible, sensational. T- typical, you know, this typical Washington Post, sensational stuff. But every, out, every outlet said, and, and they used the same, and, you know, Tucker Carlson and others have shown how they will use the same language. So, of course, you know, it is, it is you know, it, reasonable speculation to say maybe there is a meeting where they give them, okay, this is the phrase we're all going to use, because a lot of times they use it word for word all across the country. Oh, Don, I hear, the, I hear that all the time, not to interrupt you, but I hear that all the time. It's as though they're reading from the same sh- sh- yeah, facts that has yeah. the talking talking points on it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, they, or I guess now, because it's modern age, maybe they get an email. This is the, okay, this is, what we're, this is our talking point today. 
it certainly seems that way. And of course, they ought to explain. But you know, again, they just they would just claim it's a conspiracy theory and roll their eyes. Yeah, we just all happen to use the exact the exact same uh, statement. But right. in this case, they all described. They didn't. They basically made it seem like, he, of course, that he was just crazy and he killed himself, and it was tragic. But they all said after leading, reading a long, rambling statement. That's how they referred to it. Yep. Universally, and if it wasn't for the spotlight, this little newspaper that I subscribed to at the time, and now I write for the American Free Press, which is the successor to the spotlight after it was driven into bankruptcy. But of course, it was smeared as anti-Semitic, and but it, it did a lot of great work. They interviewed. Dwyer's widow, and they published the long rambling statement. Again, that's not a conspiracy theory. It's not anti-Semitic. That's what they did, and they were the only. I was criticized for using them as a source, and I said, in cases like that, they were the only source. There was no other source. So, and it's it's firsthand. They published the the statement, and they talked to his widow. The, The long rambling statement is a detailed indictment of then sitting governor of Pennsylvania Richard Thornburg and his outright corruption. And he and how he was retaliated against by Thornburg, who went on to become Attorney General under Bush the Elder. So, for the media to ignore that, I mean, that should have been a top story in 60 Minutes. Thornburg should Thornburg should have been up under under some kind of uh, charges of corruption. Nothing happened because the entire media, again, could Toss and Pravda have done it any better? I don't think so. They all swept it under the rug. Nobody even reported what was there, and it was left to a little outlet like the Spotlight to do it, which would just be smeared as a wacko uh, anti-Semitic newspaper. So, you know, that's I can't think of a better example than that. I, I, I don't know how – to me, there's no innocent explanation for that. So when people say, you know, that they, how do you explain that in non-conspiratorial terms? It, it's impossible to because that's, you know – Certainly, a few of those there there should have been some one Lois Lane or somebody in that group that hey chief I've got a big story <laughs> and not one they all said the same thing long rambling statement yeah and just for our, our listeners and viewers that aren't sure what exactly we're talking about was was but a tra- was he the treasurer I'm trying to remember yes, yes yeah. he was the state treasurer of Pennsylvania he was the state treasurer of Pennsylvania he was actually uh, being investigated himself for what he claimed to be um, you know uh, false charges. Uh, and he held a press conference on the day, I think he was, it was like the day before he was supposed to resign or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And um, during this press conference, he read the statement that Don just mentioned. It was a long statement. And most of the media was getting ready to, was packing up because they thought it was quite boring. And he said, wait a minute, don't go anywhere. You're going to want to see this. And the next thing you know, he pulled out a big manila envelope, took a pistol out of it, put it in his mouth and shot himself on, on live yeah. television. Uh, it was hor- It was horrific. And it's funny you bring it up because I had actually, I was a kid when that happened, uh, but it stuck with me. And recently, maybe within six months, I started thinking about it again. And I started, I pulled up the videos because they're on YouTube, believe it or not, and uh, started researching a little bit more. And I read the whole statement and, uh, you know, it, 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 uh, it, it, it did exactly what you just said. It, it went into some very great lengths to talk about corruption and some things that were happening and how he was being persecuted uh, unfairly. And it was quite, quite an event. And, and you're right. It was basically swept under the rug. Yeah. And I, I, again, I don't think, and there was another example in the eighties. that was very similar to that where you had Bo Greitz, who was uh, <clears throat> the, the guy that the real life character, they based the Rambo character in the movies on. He came back from a, you know, a POW MII fact finding mission and he said that he had discovered the, uh, he, he exposed his name was General Kun Sa, who is the leader of the International Golden Triangle Heroin Smuggling Ring. 
And Bogreit said that Kunsar had named the contact in America who was his American contact for the heroin smuggling ring. Richard Armitage, who was the Assistant Secretary of Defense under Reagan, he named the official. Again, the press was there. Same thing. None of them reported. I mean, I think the press supposedly hated Reagan. None of them. I mean, could anything be more sensational? The Assistant yeah. Secretary of Defense is, 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 is the American, <laughs> you know, uh, connection for the international heroines. Nothing. Only the spot, Again, the spotlight was the only one that reported it. So, I, I mean, I... I to me, and I, I, a lot of times maybe I almost think I'm being too hard on the media, but you can't because it's, if we had a free press, this corruption would end because it would be exposed, but we just don't. And it's uh, unfortunately shows like yours, shows like mine, books like mine, blogs like that. It, it's, we, have a, we have platforms, but we're just, we, we don't have the millions uh, of, of people that are flocking to the, uh, the mainstream platforms, and it's just it's hard to expose the lies when uh, most people aren't hearing you. It's not only that we don't have the millions, Don, and you're right, we don't, but we also are now under this cloud of if we say the wrong thing, we're going to be deplatformed or we're going to be you know silenced or censored in some fashion. I never thought I'd be saying that in this country. I never thought that just making just asking some very basic questions about your government or our government and uh, our way of life would get us silenced but we, that's the reality we're living in right now yeah and that's and that's one one of the things i write repeatedly about is uh is the cancel culture and the uh the fact that uh, i i just can't grasp my mind around the fact that again the left that i you know, i grew up you know revering you know i was i was a leftist civil libertarian that, there are no civil libertarians online. My friend Naomi Wolf is there, Cindy Sheehan, Cynthia McKinney, people that I that I respect and have interviewed, and you know we have written blurbs about my books. There are good people left, but they're not many, and they're they're not welcome in the establishment left. None of those people are gonna you know are gonna be <laughs> welcome in Congress or any place like that, because uh, the demented woke left doesn't believe in free speech, and I, I I'm trying to you know I. But you can't talk to people. Again, people, they use this term hate speech, which I, I, is an Orwellian term. Yep. And I try to tell people, you know, you can't – hate speech is incompatible with free speech. Hate's a human emotion. It's in the eye of the beholder. Who determines what hate is? But yep. It's ingrained in the left now. I support free speech but not hate speech. I mean, what – so, and you determine what hate speech is. I mean – it's, you can't have free speech like that, but unfortunately, that's and that, that's the people in charge now. It's, it's the one party in, in charge. They don't believe in the First Amendment. I guess we just have to hope that they don't officially abolish the Bill of Rights, but they don't remotely believe in them. So it's no accident that, 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 that people are being deplatformed. A lot of the biggest platforms I had on YouTube are long gone. They, yep. they got rid of them one fell swoop, and people that you know, had as many as 700,000 subscribers, uh, they're gone. And uh, they 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 took them out, and uh, you know I didn't agree with a lot of uh, of maybe some of their uh, you know their their uh, subscribers, what they a lot of more Q people and so forth. But uh, that was a huge audience, and they got rid of them because they don't want any alternatives. You know they're already doing anybody that questions anything about the vaccines or or the virus or the lockdown, anybody that questions uh, electoral fraud, any of that. They've deplatformed and censored people, and it's just. It's beyond Orwellian. I, I put out a meme the other day uh, that I just said, you know, why don't 
why don't they just make it official and just start putting the Big Brother posters up? Yeah. Because I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's all there except for that, really. It, it really is. Another thing that you say is that the U.S. government has spent as much has spent as much time covering up conspiracies as it has uh, helping the American people. Uh, do you consider that to be true across all administrations? And how far back? Yeah, certainly, especially since they killed JFK. I mean, I think my, I think that was written by the publishers that particular phrase, but I would have phrased it as, as spent way more time because they haven't really helped people at all. And uh, I think that, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much their uh, one of their main activities, you know, is is, is because they, because they commit so many crimes, uh, they have to devote a lot of time. Again, it's, it's basically one. It, it is organized crime. It's just it's just that it's organized crime without any scruples. Like I said, you know, mafia, even mafia hitmen go to church and they wouldn't do anything to kids. You know, these people apparently are, you know, involved in international child sex trafficking rings. They don't have any qualms about killing anybody. Uh, you know, again, mafia hitmen have more principles than they do. And that's uh, that's a glaring indictment of the people in charge. But I I couldn't have a lower opinion of them. And uh, that's why it's it's hard to fight them, because especially when you, you know, but we're very much like there's so many analogies to what we're doing, experiencing now and what Orwell wrote about in 1984. But the proles, and that's basically the majority now as well, the proles outnumber these conspirators, whatever you want to call them, you know, by the millions, millions, uh, vastly outnumber them. We could overpower them in an instant. But just like Orwell's proles couldn't get together, our proles today can't get together. And we can't come together. We're constantly, they use the dividing tactics, especially of race, to divide us constantly, so we're always fighting about stupid things, about distractions, foreign hobgoblins, you know, foreign boogeymen in other countries, and we just can't concentrate on these corrupt clowns that are, are just absolutely destroying this country. And if we could all focus on that and come together, and that's what they fear, but we just we just can't do it. Well, and you know, it seems like at this point it would be easier to do it than it ever has been in history, given our technology and. and platforms like Facebook and YouTube and others, but obviously those platforms are interfering with that ability. Are these platforms in on this? Are they part of the conspiracy? Oh, I think it's pretty obvious at this point, sure. I mean, look, look at, let's look at uh, the things, the Facebook fact-checkers and certainly the YouTube. I mean, the, the YouTube, uh, Susan, Susan Wojcicki or whatever her name is, she bragged about how many channels she said. She's, she's relishing. She loves censoring people. Yeah. She was ecstatic, and and they gave her some kind of freedom of expression award recently. I mean, this, this Unreal. is mind-boggling. And, and so, again, they give them, it's like, you know, worse than Obama's, uh, you know, a Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, it, it's ridiculous, but they, there's, I mean, the, the guy that runs Twitter, that demented guy. I mean, yeah. look at these guys. You, <laughs> no. these, they, they relish in that. I mean, you have people like, you know... You had uh, people like Peter Fonda who, you know, who talked about seriously suggesting that then 10-year-old Baron Trump should be put in a cage with a bunch of pedophiles. Right. He wasn't censored or anything. Right. But other people, I mean, you know, when they, again, I'm I'm a Trump agnostic. I'm the part of the smallest minority group in the the world. There aren't very many of us. Most people are triggered one way or the other by him. But however you look at it, it was uh, unbelievable that they, they... Deplatform the president of the United States, as I said at the time, when you know he took him off Twitter and social media. 
I mean, unprecedented, uh, you know, hard to believe they could do that because, you know, theory, I mean, I believe all things are planned, but theoretically there could have been some kind of an emergency that came up in that time between when they deplatformed him and when uh, Biden was inaugurated. Well, if they had, uh, you know, and, and the networks already had shown they weren't going to televise his speech except Fox News, anything he's, he so he had no platform. So if he would have had no way to communicate with the people, theoretically. So very, very uh, dangerous what we've – but again, every time I, I talk about crossing lines in the sand and they keep crossing these moral boundaries and, you know, and they cross them over and over again and the American – the majority of the people – accept it no matter what. I've come to the conclusion that Americans have no tipping point. I have to hope that at some point enough people will wake up to push back on this. Do you hold any of that hope, Don? Well, you know, I, I want to. <laughs> I really want to think a bit, but I, I'm thinking more and more that it's it's uh, that our problems are so significant. The corruption is so bad. You'd need the biggest vacuum cleaner in the world to vacuum out the corruption, because it's not, as what this lockdown has shown, it's not just Congress. It's not just the presidency. It's not just the Supreme Court. It is, you know, all the way down to maybe the level of dog catcher. Maybe there's yeah. a few honest dog catchers. I don't know. But we've, we've seen the mayors, you know, the Lori Lightfoots of the world that we didn't know existed. And we see how bad they are yeah. at these local levels. You see the local school boards. You know, you see the, the angry parents, you know, yelling at them and them shouting down and pull your mask up and stuff. These, so at the school board level, so how you know how do you root out that much corruption? It's everywhere, and there there are honest people, but they're so outnumbered that uh, they can't do anything. So it, it would take just uh, I, I you know think it, it would take something supernatural. So I think we have to have our faith, and uh, we have to hope that uh, somehow. Because I I really don't know that there's a, that, that there's a, a political answer anymore because people clearly, I mean, they're just. There's not going to be you, – you really don't need that much. It's certainly, if you could even have, uh, I think, they're, what is it, 3% or something, they think you really need a very small percentage of the people to enact change. But yeah. I don't even know if you can get that because, again, with the January 6th incident, incident I've written a lot about, which was just a joke, uh, they, have, they have misrepresented that more than maybe other, any other event in American history. They have used that now as a giant sledgehammer that's hanging over all our heads. And I think the way they overreacted to nothing, I think everybody is thinking, wow, you know, I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to stay as the, a lot of these guys have been. They've been beaten in prison. They're in solitary confinement. I, so I think people are afraid. And, and if there's only power in numbers. So I, I've said, you know, people have talked, why don't you go out and speak in D.C.? Because I live near a sea. I'm not going to go and speak to 20 people. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if if I know that hundreds of thousands will be there and they still somehow want me to speak, I'd be happy to. But but. You have to have numbers. You need at least hundreds of thousands it, it, working for the same cause and really ideally millions. And that's the only way it's going to happen. And I just don't see any way you're going to get that many people together. Um, I can't believe the hour has uh, gone by so quickly, but I I want to ask about something that actually happened today. Now, in the last few weeks, we've had a lot of reporting. Well, not a lot of reporting, but some reporting about what's going on at the border. We've had reporting about, uh, you know, what's going on in Israel right now. We've had reporting about inflation becoming a serious problem. We've had uh, reporting about um, the long gas lines and the cyber attack on the pipeline that supplies fuel to much of the southeast. A lot of bad news for the 
current administration and the federal government. So suddenly today, the CDC changes their guidance on mask wearing. The president makes a big speech about uh, how, okay, now if you've been vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask anymore uh, and you don't have to social distance. Nothing's changed. The science hasn't changed. Most of us have been aware that this is actually what made sense for very for many, many months. But suddenly today it all changed. What are your thoughts on the timing of this? Because not only did the Biden administration and the CDC do this, but the teachers union su- suddenly miraculously said, oh, yeah, and now we're going to go back to school. <laughs> seems kind of coordinated to me. Yeah, it all, again, it, all, it seems like, you know, the orders came from Conspiracy Central. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, it, that kind of coordination, people don't, uh, you know, just automatically all decide to change like that. Yeah, I think it's either to maybe to because of all the horrible things that are going on and, and you have more and more people looking, well, you know, maybe Trump wasn't so bad. You know, maybe I don't miss his tweets that much. You know, <laughs> uh, that's, you know, it, 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 when they look at all the stuff that's going on. So, yeah, they're, I think they're trying to. To polish, uh, you know, polish a turd or whatever. You know, they're trying to they're trying to you know, put lipstick on a pig. They're trying to throw a few good things out there. People say, oh, "Okay, we're Biden's making progress." I mean, I don't know. I saw, I saw a little bit of a speech he gave today or yesterday or something, and it was it, it was just shocking. I mean, he he he's he's got the dementia was so bad he he could he couldn't remember names. He couldn't yeah. talk. I, I've never seen anything like it. And again, the 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 side that's in charge, it doesn't matter. I mean, he's. He's beyond Peter Sellers' character in being there. If you remember that movie, I yeah. mean, he doesn't know anything that's going on, and it's it's it, it would be if if I could feel sorry for somebody like him, it really is kind of elder abuse. But mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's mind-boggling that people can't see that. And the same people that were going nuts over Trump saying this or that uh, to look at somebody like that who theoretically, you know, has his hand on the button and is you know again hypothetically is in charge. I don't think he is. I don't think any of them are, but. Uh, it's it's a sad state of affairs, but you know that's that's where we are today. And I I don't know if if this present state of affairs doesn't wake people up, I don't know whatever will. And then you have somebody like uh, Brian Williams on MSNBC saying <laughs> it's so refreshing to hear it a president deliver his remarks in a soft whisper tone. I mean, it's like it's like a different universe. I don't understand it. Hey, listen, yeah. we're almost out of time, but I want to give you a second. You've got several books. They they address many of the topics we're talking about. Plus, you have the show. Plus, you have the Substack, uh, uh, I guess, page. I'm not really that familiar with Substack. I know it's a page that journalists work. Um, tell us what they all are. And, and as far as your books go, do you have one that you recommend people start with if they're not familiar with your work? Well, Hidden History was my first, and that's been my by far my bestseller. So, but if you want to start in order, chronological order, because uh, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 70, 76, 1963, which features an, a foreword by Ron Paul, and they're proud of that. He's one of my heroes. Uh, that covers, it's kind of a prequel to Hidden History. So if you want to start from the War for Independence on, uh, you might want to start there. And, uh, you know, I... I, I write regularly. I'm starting to write regularly at Substack. I also have a blog, DonaldJeffries.wordpress.com. has a lot of a lot of stuff there that are people are interested. I'm a, I'm at Don Jeffries on Twitter. I'm very easy to find on social media. If you do a search for me, you'll probably find out more than you want to know. Don, we didn't get to so many of the things I wanted to talk about just because the stuff we were talking about was so important. I hope you'll agree to come back at some point. Sure, I'd be happy to. I, I appreciate you having me on. That's terrific. Again, thank you for being here. Um, your books are available pretty much everywhere books are sold? Absolutely. Again, if, if people if people do a search for me, they'll 
books by Donald, Je- author Donald Jeffries, they'll they'll find there. There's my sixth one is coming out. It's going to be on Showbiz later this year. But uh, so I do more than the, the crimes and conspiracies. But those two books are by far the ones that people are most interested in and have sold the best. And you recently uh, released a novel too, right? Well, that was my first one, the, the Unreals, and I, I, you know, I'm primarily a novelist. I turned to nonfiction because I couldn't get any more fiction published. I, I think that's what I do best. But it's been easier for me to do nonfiction, so uh, that's where I'm going now until people start publishing my fiction. <laughs> All right, thanks again. It's Donald Jeffries, and you can find uh, his website as well. It's very easy, and as he said, if you search his name, you'll find him easily. I know I did, but it's Donald Jeffries. WordPress.com. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at Slick Eddie. Eddie Edwards at gmail.com.